Good morning, Sunridge and online guests. Thank you for joining us. As Becky said, uh, we're starting a really important conversation for our church today, but it isn't just Sunridge. It's something that's being talked about in the church uh, globally and certainly in this country. And I'm really excited to, uh, to start unpacking the things that the board has learned and the new direction for Sunridge in this regard. Um, I, w- I do want to stop before we jump in on it, though, and just say that, uh, you know, in spite of how important this conversation is for us, um, there's still a lot going on in the world today, right? Um, COVID is still here, and the economy is struggling, and another million people lost their jobs this week and and applied for unemployment, and uh, there's still the racial tension in this country, and it seems like we have less and less capacity to talk with one another. We're just so divided. And so I want you to know that we're still praying about those things. And if you have specific prayer requests or things that we can help you with, you can just put that in the chat. There is a, they'll put a link up about uh, the, uh, you can contact information at Sunridge and we'll be glad to pray for you and point you toward resources that will help you with that. I also want to say that, um, you know, in preparing for this message in particular, I knew it was going to be a long one. So I just want you to sit back and relax because this might be the longest message I ever gave at Sunridge. So don't tune out. Uh, it's, it's, my wife and I just watched Hamilton this week. I mean, is that an amazing uh, production or what? And so this message is just like Hamilton, only not as good. But there's an intermission in the middle if you want to take it. You can just hit pause at any time. And I don't plan on using any hip-hop lyrics in this message either. So uh, with that, let's, let's just start talking about it, okay? Um, you know, in three of the four Gospels, the authors record Jesus giving what has been commonly known today as the illustration or the parable of the wineskins. And so we're going to get to that in a second, but... For context's sake, you know, basically the religious leaders of Jesus' day were upset at him. They were troubled because of all the changes that he was making. And so when they come to him, they, they level this laundry list of complaints to him, not just about what he's doing, but how he's doing it, and even some of the things that he's not doing that they think that he should be doing. Specifically, um, they're, they're upset at the company that he keeps. They call him uh, the friend of sinners, and this is not a term of endearment uh, for them. And basically, their paradigm is that the, the righteous keep company with the righteous, and they avoid the unrighteous. And yet Jesus is spending time with people that they would never let in their circle. They would specifically and intentionally avoid them. And in fact, it's even worse than that. Jesus seems to lean toward them and accept their invitations. But more upsetting to them even than that is the way that he's broken from their long-held traditions. And it wasn't just about the things that they were doing, but it was about the beliefs that underpinned those traditions for them. And so they come to him to complain, and they say, why are you changing everything? And to that, Jesus replies, here's the thing. I know that he doesn't specifically say that, but in essence, that's what he says. Here's the thing. And in Luke 
5.36, Jesus says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, the new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Now, I don't want to take a lot of time here to give you a science lesson. I think you probably already get it, but at this time, wine would be stored in skins sometimes, in animal skins. And as wine ferments, obviously, it expands the volume of that skin. And so uh, if you tried to put new wine in an old wineskin, it would rip that old wineskin because it had already been stretched to its maximum. Science lesson over. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that there's a change. He's saying that he is that change. And he's saying that these, change in, these changes that I'm making uh, are because the thing that I'm doing in the world today cannot be contained by the old beliefs or the old structures or the old ways. And this won't be the last time that things change either. And if you've been a Jesus follower for any amount of time, you know that sometime in your life, Jesus changes things on you, right? In fact, some of us would say he'll wreck you occasionally with that change. And yet, Jesus being the good shepherd, he, he acknowledges that it's hard for us to make these changes. In verse 39, he says, no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. We don't, we don't like change. I've had the fortune or the misfortune to work in two organizations that are resistant to change, the fire department and the church. And in the fire department, I can tell you that there are two things that firefighters hate. The way, they, the way things are and change. You get it, right? For most of us, it takes something to catalyze a change for us. Sometimes that change is imposed on us. It's a forceful change. It can be just an experience we go through, tragic or joyful, and we emerge from that experience or that circumstance totally changed with a new perspective. Sometimes it's just something dawns on us. There's a new understanding. A way, we looked at something a certain way and somehow a thought prompts us and we, we're like, it creates a question and that leads to a change. And sometimes for those of us who are Jesus followers, that change is prompted internally by the Holy Spirit. It's an entirely spiritual endeavor in which God changes us through his Holy Spirit. He nudges us. All of those things contributed to the change that has occurred at Sunridge in our policy in regards to women because we recognize that God wants us to bring the full gospel into our lives and to use us to bring it into our community and that in order to continue to bring the reconciling, redemptive work of Christ to our community, to our families, to the world, we had to make a change. Now, you know, or you, you may not know, I should say, that Sunridge is an elder-led church. And what that means is that there's always been a group of people, volunteers, not, not always staff, that have the ultimate human authority at Sunridge. It's not, it's not Brid, it's not the staff. These elders are uh, in charge of the doctrinal issues at Sunridge and discipline and um, the direction of the church. And they evaluate me annually. 
And that board of elders last year in November uh, determined that at Sunridge, all Christ followers should be free to express their God-given gifts without limitation. Now, we announced that just, just before COVID happened uh, with all of our department volunteers, we met with them, and we received a varied response to that, you know, and a lot of it was tied to g our generation, uh, our generational uh, circumstance. Uh, for some people, this was a really big change, and for others, it was like no big change at all, and as Becky mentioned, on the 9th and the 23rd, we're gonna have dialogues about that together. We call them a collective, and there, there's gonna be plenty of other opportunity for us to discuss that. But for many of you who are busy with your lives, you may not be familiar with this great debate. So let me give you a thumbnail, thumbnail sketch of the issues, okay? And I'm gonna, the labels aren't always helpful, but into uh, a category to understand things. And there are two definitions in your notes that are just is that me? Did I? Can you hear me now? Are we good? Thank you. Sorry about that. Wow, I just added a whole new wrinkle to uh, my uh, repertoire today, holding this microphone. Um, so there are two really kind of like positions that you could hold here. The first one uh, is called complementarian. And this definition is straight from a book uh, by Carolyn Custis James called Half the Church. Uh, complementarians believe the Bible establishes male authority over women, making male leadership the biblical standard. According to this view, God calls women to submit to male leadership and to take up supportive roles to their husbands and to male leaders in the church. And kind of the other end of the spectrum here is what would be called egalitarian. It doesn't mean that there's no difference between men and women, but it does uh, eliminate the role differences. Uh, egalitarians believe that leadership is not determined by gender, but by the gift, gifting and calling of the Holy Spirit, and then God calls all believers to submit to one another. So there, that, those, are, they, those might be new labels to you. They're, we've become very familiar with them around here at Sunridge. So... With those things in mind, I'd like to poll you. And on your note sheet, there's like uh, several little survey questions with a line that you can mark where you are. So if you have that out, I'm gonna put them up here on the screen, but I want you to think about where you currently fall on this issue and just mark an X where you think uh, it best describes where you are. First, we're gonna talk about roles of women in the church. And you can see that at one side, some people would believe that there's be no limit. That would be egalitarian. And then on the far other side, this is actually a patriarchal uh, position that women are prohibited in all situations from leading men. So you may not, you're not going to be probably like, you know, like in the far ends of either one. You might be somewhere online. But just put yourself, where, where do you fall currently? based on your tradition or you know, what you know. The second question is, tr gets at kind of like how well informed you think you are on this issue. Uh, and again, you know, we have like, I'm well informed. Now, if you mark that end of the spectrum, you've studied this out, you've looked at all, issue, all the sides, uh, you know, 
extensively, I would say. And then maybe some of you are on the other side. It's like, oh, you know, I haven't really spent that much time on it. I have a lot to learn. So just put yourself there. This next question kind of uncovers like how strongly you feel about your belief. This will be helpful for you. Like some of you would say, you know, nothing could ever change my mind on this. And then others would say, like, I'm curious. So you've placed yourself, but like, like how intransigent or how committed are you to that position? That's important to note as we go through this. And then the last question is about women's roles in the workplace, which is the reason why it's up there is because we've discovered in our process that there is a distinction in how people can view this uh, in the two different worlds. So in the workplace, do you think that there should be no limit to, uh, to women's roles? Or do you think even in the workplace, women are prohibited from leading men? What you should know is that when we started this process over three years ago, the board took a similar survey with other questions. And uh, the elder board deliberated on this topic, on this matter, for at least three years. So at the beginning, uh, all the board members uh, were complementarian, as I've described earlier. They believed that there was some limitation, some degree of limit on women's capacity to lead in church. And that might be a totally new idea to you based on your generation or like how much you've been in church or what kind of church you've been in. But this process over three years meant hours and hours of meetings, countless podcasts and books and messages and position, position papers seeking the counsel of other churches that have gone through this process. Um, we reviewed 73 passages of scripture several times. That's not verses, that's passages. And uh, in the chat, our host is gonna put up both our resource list that has accumulated over time, the books and podcasts and uh, resources that we used in studying this, that's gonna be up there. And then also we're gonna put up the scriptures that we looked at. So that's all in there. You can take a look at those later. Obviously, uh, there was prayer involved in this. The board fasted several times. We always prayed together. We set aside meetings specifically to prayer. Uh, we had many meetings with each other. We invited a committee at one point of uh, four women of diverse opinions and Jed uh, from our staff to engage with us for eight months uh, where we walked through the whole process again to gain different perspectives. And then the board re-engaged again and we discussed it, and we talked about our differences. And I'll be honest with you, in the middle of that, one board member resigned, and his family left the church, and later another board member uh, left the church. I'm just trying to be totally forthright with you. Um, so, uh, but in November, the board that was there, even though we had diverse opinions on this, they were unanimous in that we should go forward with this new perspective. And the elders thought it would be healthy for us to walk through this process. So this message is kind of starts the conversation about um, this whole idea of half the church because we, we realized that in our policy and the way we we're approaching ministry that we were really trying to do ministry with one hand tied behind our back. 
that there was an entire population at our church that weren't fully empowered to utilize the gifts that they had. And there, there is a specific design for men and women that comes forward in the scripture of how we work side by side in God's kingdom. But in particular, this message especially has a little bit of just like the process. So bear with me in that. You should be, you know, you should find comfort or not that this is an ongoing conversation, um, not just at Sunridge, but in many churches. And it's, it's a topic of conversation among denominations and everything. In order to fully grasp why this had to be addressed, um, you have to understand the problem. And uh, the truth of the matter is that over the history of Sunridge, the boundaries of women's roles at Sunridge have been unclear and at times unjust. Let that sink in a little bit and I'll unpack it. You know, the history of Sunridge has been that we've always had a stated complementarian position. That is, there's some limit for women in ministry and their roles, but, but our practice has always been to push that. And so uh, that created a lack of clarity. No, no matter what we said, our practices didn't always match what we stated our belief was. And so that created a lack of clarity. So when we say that the roles of women or the boundaries of women's roles have been unclear, let me just give you a few examples. Um, first of all, uh, early on when we started taking missionary trips, uh, Lisa Stewart was the director of our missions program at that time. And she was going to do training of uh, the team that was going to travel. And so uh, that meant that she was going to lead men that were going to go on this trip. And in every way, Lisa was the director of this trip and in charge of what happened and who did what. And she was she held the full responsibility for the trip under the umbrella of Sunridge. But when we talked about the training, you know, that involves scripture and, you know, mission and purpose. And um, we ran into a conflict, like, because some people felt like, well, she can't teach the scripture. She can lead the team, but she can't lead scripture. And so, like, uh, you know, in the end, what happened was in the training sessions that Lisa led, Rob Foster, who was our outreach pastor at the time, uh, he had to read the Bible. Lisa did the training, but any time a verse is read, Rob led, uh, Rob read the verse. And when I say that today, it just sounds so weird. Um, clearly, Lisa was in charge of the trip. And uh, so when Rob led or read the scripture, Lisa had to sit silently up front. But, you know, there wasn't malice involved in that. We we're just trying to work out what, what our beliefs meant in real life. Another example is this, that when I took the position of lead pastor here at Sunridge, the only written policy limiting women was in regard to elders. So under the policy that was given to me as the lead pastor, and this was pointed out to me by the board, by some board members, I could designate a woman to be a pastor. There was no prohibition to that. This is what was given to me as the lead pastor. And, and yet, what we recognized is there wasn't really clarity. Uh, not everybody agreed with that. It was kind of a surprise that that was our only prohibition. So um, you can see how that would create all kinds of unclearness for women stepping into roles. And I heard from women that were leading ministry, you know, like, I feel like I'm standing in jello. 
I, I don't know where my boundaries are. We had times in the past where a woman was leading and a man said to her, I don't need to listen to you because I'm a man. These, I'm just trying to shoot totally straight with you about our situation at Sunridge. And again, if you haven't been raised in a traditional church, some of that just sounds so foreign to you. I understand that. But that was where we were. One thing that is true is that we always had women leading men here. I mean, we've always had a woman's uh, children's director or pastor, whatever you want to call them. And, uh, and they led men. They were in charge. And that's still going on in our church. We have uh, women uh, directors, women staff that are leading men. And they, they make the calls. And they tell people what to do. And yet we had this lack of clarity. So I think you get it. That lack of clarity created an unjust situation as well because in our history, we had people who had the role of pastor, if you just made a male, but they didn't have the title. So, the, you know, basically the way it worked is you came on staff at Sunridge. If you were a man, you were called a pastor. If you were a woman, you got called something else, but you might have greater responsibility. And worse than that, uh, there was the responsibility in many cases without the pay. There was a pay uh, disparity between men and women. And uh, when I uh, became the pastor, it was one of the things, the first things that we worked on, took it as far as we could under our current structure at that time. You know, um, one of the things God is really concerned about as you read through the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, is injustice. He says that he loves justice and he hates injustice. And so when people ask me or have asked the board, why couldn't we just leave it the way it was? I think it should make sense right now to you that you can't put people in a position of leadership and not have their roles be clear. And we can't have an unjust system based on gender. It would be like if we just said, well, all the blue-eyed people at Sunridge get certain titles and the brown-eyed people don't. It just didn't make any sense the way we were doing it. So we, the board agreed back then that we had to address this. And we also agreed that we would not divide over it. And I, I'm sad to say that that was not true. That we, we could not do that. And it's one of the things that as your pastor, what I want to say to you, whatever your feelings are on this issue, I've been here for 30 years. And one of the things that God continues to try to teach Sunridge is not how to disagree, but how to agree in the midst of our disagreement. And uh, we're still learning that lesson. Some people would say, well, isn't this a Bible issue? Absolutely, it's a Bible issue. It's also an organizational issue. It's a functional issue. It's a rational issue. It's a human issue. And then others would ask, well, then are we breaking from Scripture? No, we're not. And that's part of what I want to unpack to you over the next few weeks. It's a change that actually, from, from our perspective, aligns us better with Scripture it helps us through many of the questions that we could not answer. It's not rejecting the scripture that we know. Instead, what we learned is we discovered scriptures that we hadn't seen before, and we saw the same scriptures that we were familiar with in a new light. One of the things that we said 
constantly through that three-year process was we didn't know what we didn't know. Now, I want to put up on the screen, and this is also on your note sheet, the Sunridge stance on the Bible, because we need to talk about that before we jump into even my message today, right? So I told you this is going to be long. Is it intermission time? <laughs> um, here's, this is right from our, our uh, statement of beliefs. We believe that the Bible is inspired by God and is both trustworthy and authoritative. We believe it is our responsibility to study the entire Bible and submit to all its teachings. That Sunridge's stance on the scriptures has not changed. But I also want to note like my feelings and my beliefs about the scripture. How, how do I feel about the Bible? I believe that. That's entirely what I believe. I respect the word of God so much. I've given my life really to understand it. I, you, it would be rare to find a day, especially in the years that I've been a pastor or a staff member here, a day that goes by that I'm not in the scripture in some way or another. It goes all the way back to the first Bible Holy Joe gave me at Hollover Beach in Miami, Florida. A little New Testament with Psalms and the King James Version. And I started reading that thing from, you know, like before I was ever a Christian, I was reading the scripture. And so I am wholeheartedly committed to it and to following Jesus. I don't worship the Bible. I worship Jesus and I follow him. And I left the fire department to lead this church. And my beliefs are rooted in the scripture. The Bible is the story of God's love for people, and it is inspired by God. It is wholly authoritative and reliable, and the, the people that wrote it weren't perfect people, but God used them perfectly to give us the exact book and letters and writings that he wanted us to have, and he preserved it through time and all the challenges and persecution that came with it. It is a miracle that we have the Bible, and we have the Bible God wanted us to have. Yet the question is, and this is what the controversy swirls around, is how do we read and understand the Bible? Now, when I was in Bible college, that class or classes came under the title of hermeneutics. I know, it's like it's not a word that you use every day. Hey, how's your hermeneutic? Um, but in Bible college, it's a big issue and in seminary. And hermeneutics is the science and art of interpreting the Bible, which we're going to talk about two messages from now in a, in a message titled, What About What Paul Said? And we're going to look specifically at some of the problematic passages uh, for people, and we're going to apply basic hermeneutics to those scriptures. But what I want to tell you, and, I, and this is why I want you to follow through with this, is that our position is made on the basis of Scripture, not in spite of it. And here's the thing. Here's the main thought. So finally, that's, we're done with the background. You can, you can have relief that we're going like, to actually talk about the Scripture today, and I'm going I'm to unpack a single thought to you today. And it is this. Often, how we apply the Scripture is just as important as how we interpret it. Do you get that? Often how we apply the scripture is just as important as how we interpret it. Most Bible study goes like this. What does it say? What does it mean by what it says? 
And then how does it apply? Or even does it apply today? Or is, is there a way we have to modify this truth to apply today? These are the things that drop into the wineskin changes for us. Because you can't always make a literal one-to-one application to our day and time. The scriptures are written not to you and me. They're written to, like in particular Paul's letters, they're written to a specific time and place and to a people and to a situation. They're written not to us, but they're written for us. And the work that we have to do is to understand what the Bible was trying to say and then bring forward how that applies. Some things we read and it's like, how, do, how are you going to apply that today? Like, don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. That's in your Old Testament. It's like, okay, well, that's my scripture for today. It's like, it's so sometimes it is even that interpretation is one work you do and application. They actually merge together often. And I'm going to give you four examples today of that, of how application affects us. And then um, I'm going to give you a bonus, which means I'm really giving you five, right? Okay, so first of all, let's talk about hats and hair length. These are already, the scriptures are in your notes and the blanks are filled in. Do you think that I can convince you today that if we were to be able to meet next Sunday, that all the women who came needed to wear a hat and have long hair, and the men could not wear hats, and the men had to have short hair? Do you think that I could convince you of that? Well, that's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11. Let's look at it in verse 3. He says, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. This is, he's setting this up, and, and this is, some people refer to this as headship, the concept of headship. And um, after setting that up, this basis, he says in verse 4, and every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head was shaved. And then on in verse 14, he says, Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? You know, like the first church camp I ever went to, the preacher at that camp, I was in 10th grade, and I was a long-haired, leaping gnome. A uh, little shout-out to the 70s there. And I was so proud of my ponytail. And he was giving haircuts to the, to the boys at church camp because he wanted us to get right with God. I, I didn't cut my hair. Imagine that. Some of my friends did, and I refused to. I worked so hard to get that ponytail. I want to grow it again, but Cindy tells me to just be like a little scraggly thing in the back, and it wouldn't look cool. But Put in the chat whether you think that I should grow a ponytail or not, because I would really like to do that. Um, anyway, I digress. Verse 15, but that if a woman has long hair, it's to her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. So Paul even doubles down on this, on the backside. So what does this passage specifically say? It says that women should have long hair and men should have short hair. It says that women should use a head covering 
when they pray or prophesy in church. By the way, what's interesting about this, and we'll look at this uh, in two weeks, is that this is just three chapters before Paul says a woman should not speak in church. And yet, clearly, what's happening here is he's giving a dress code for women who are going to pray and prophesy in church. It's something to think about. The issue here is not interpretation for us today, right? I mean, Paul said what he said. But there's something else going on there that brings it forward to our time or not. It's application. And in that case, it's just as important because we're not following that practice. Why are we not covering our heads and giving haircuts to men with long hair? It's something that's been debated in past years in the church. So ask yourself this question. Do I believe that this verse, this passage, should be applied as explicitly stated? Should, we start, should women start to wear hats in church or not? And should men all cut their hair? Because I know that most of you are going to say no. I do know some people that would still hold to that. And that's all right, but I think most of us would say, you know, that, does, that, that doesn't make a direct application to today. There was something cultural going on. Let's take another one that's a little, a little more important. Let's talk about slavery. You know, we no longer have slaves. And the church had a big debate about this over centuries, but certainly 150 years ago, this was hotly debated. And so, the idea of having slaves is a no-brainer to us, but not for them. It was an issue of great debate, and it was because of Scripture. You know, in the Old Testament, patriarchs had slaves, and in this context, 50% of the population are slaves. And there is no explicit condemnation of slavery in your Bible. And by the way, in many cases in that culture, women were considered in the same way. So what did Paul and others say in the New Testament about slavery? Well, the consistent message is that slaves are to obey their masters. And then Peter, a disciple of Jesus, makes an even stronger statement than Paul does in this regard. In 1 Peter 2.18, he says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Peter says that slaves must obey their masters even if they're mistreated. Is there any question about what Paul or Peter are saying Yet, would we quote those scriptures in the same way today? Do we, do we make a direct application? Of course not. But history shows, shows us that these verses specifically were used to defend slavery by Christians. And in that debate, oops, Bear with me here. In that debate, using these verses, Christians would say things like, black people are not meant for freedom. 
because look at what the Bible says. This is why the Bible says this, because they're not capable of living under freedom. They're not designed to live free. They shouldn't vote. I, that sounds so offensive to say today, but that was the debate 150 years ago. You see, in this instance, it's clear what Paul said, it's clear what Peter said, but there was a point at which the church decided this no longer applies. How did they decide that? Or it didn't apply in the same way. In America, we make an automatic modification of this, these passages to be the employer-employee relationship, but that is not what the scripture explicitly says. So ask yourself, in this case, is that about interpretation or is it about how we apply the truth? Let's look at another one. The discipline of children. Um, Proverbs is filled with advice about how to deal with unruly children. In Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Writer says, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from them. The rod is a rod. It's a stick. And this is uh, one of the many instances in the Old Testament that advocates for corporal punishment. In Proverbs 19, 18, uh, the writer says, chasten your son while there's still hope and let not your soul spare for his crying. That's out of the King James. It's like when you beat them with the rod, um, don't, don't have empathy or sympathy when they're crying. They, they really need this. And then in Deuteronomy 21, 8, a stubbornly rebellious son who does not obey his parents shall be taken outside the city and stoned to death. Now, you know, my kids, we, we spanked our kids. Can I get arrested for that? I don't know. But, like, it's pretty rare for people to be spanking their children today. And uh, indeed, in my household, we have our youngest was nine years apart from the older ones, and they will constantly remind us that she never got spankings. It's not that the, our theology changed on that. It was just that she was a nicer kid. What can I say? I'm just kidding. So what's even more interesting about this, not, not, not just what the Scripture says, but I want to take you back just 400 years ago to Matthew Henry's commentary. And many of you, I bet, it's a single-volume commentary. I bet many of you have this commentary and use it. And this is what he says on this topic. Many need severe rebukes. Some children are so obstinate that their parents can do no good with them without sharp correction. Some criminals must feel the rigor of the law and public justice. Gentle methods will not work upon them. They must be beaten black and blue. Now, that's a commentary by a theologian of that time. It's like, has our perspective changed on that? I mean, if we applied these verses directly in a one-to-one -one relationship, you would get arrested. So let's pick one more from my lifetime as a boomer. I'm of the boomer generation, and it's about career women. Okay? Paul instructs Titus to have the older women teach the younger women, specifically in Titus 2.5, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, so that the word of God be not blasphemed. 
So first of all, just as a sidebar, husbands, is, have you recently told your wife to be obedient to you? We have divorce care for you. If, um, I wouldn't recommend that language. Um, but our interpretation of this, just in my lifetime, when Paul writes to Titus that women are to be a keeper at home, it was used, it was said that like a mom shouldn't work. She'd be a keeper at home. And the man goes to work and the mom stays home with the kids. And that was a very traditional family model, particularly in the Christian community. And, and I became a Christian in 10th grade. It was 1972. And that was what I was taught. And Cindy and I have a very traditional family. But, you know, over, over the centuries, uh, passages like this were used to prevent women from having the ability to vote to own property or to have a 401k. And if you just think back a few generations, especially in the Christian community, women did not work outside the home. Is that, are you, is that a phrase that you're familiar with? Again, this is another instance where the scripture is clear about what it says, but we're modifying that in how we apply it. And so when, how do we decide these things? That's the question. Now, here's your bonus one. This, I'm, we're going to deal with this passage specifically in the future, but in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, Paul writes, and this is a problem text, and it's a text that's all, you know, often brought up in this conversation. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Some of you, you might be a newer Christian or maybe you're just younger and you've never like really read that passage and you're like, whoa, that's in there. Yet people from my generation have gotten so comfortable with the language of that passage. Now, can we just take a moment and we'll dig into this deeper in two messages ahead, but like, can we just... Look at explicitly what the Bible says here, what Paul is saying. He says that women should be silent in the church, which means that they can't talk, right? And he, he reinforces this. They are not allowed to speak. In fact, they're not even allowed to ask a question in the service. If they have anything to ask, they should go home and ask their husbands. Now, If that's, it's like, do we really apply that today? I, I don't really know of any church that applies that explicitly. So how do we, how do we determine to, to how we take Scripture that is explicit and we know what it says and we understand what it says? How do we translate that to our day and time? That's application. Sometimes we say, you know, I don't get it. That's a different day and time. It was said to a certain people in a certain situation. And other times we just modify it in some way and pull a principle out or whatever. But the thing that we can't get away from is what is explicitly said here. And why that's important. Why that's important is that often we'll hear in this discussion and others, well, I stand on the scripture. 
do we stand on these scriptures in that way? Are, are we really saying that we want to apply those? Or, or are we just cherry-picking parts of verses out? These are the questions that we had to wrestle with as a board. These are the questions that I wrestle with in interpreting the scripture. It's like we see what it explicitly says, but we, does, it, does that mean a direct application? And then when we say, it's like, well, I stand on this verse. Are we really standing on that verse? We have to be honest with our inconsistencies. And that was one of the things that I had to wrestle with as I went through this transformation. I had to think about the things that, that I said that really didn't translate into real life. Are you tracking with me? You know, there's a great irony in the conversations that I've had, you know, over the years and certainly as we uh, unpacked this last spring. The decision is the, the conversations that I'm in with couples where the wife in the presence of the husband is telling me this verse and arguing that we should stand on this scripture. And, and it's like, do you see that we're not applying that? I mean, we just have to be intellectually honest with ourselves, right? And that's the struggle. Look, my intention here is not to undermine scripture. It's to elevate it. To elevate it because there is hermeneutics. There's the science and art of interpreting scripture. And some things are just not clear and we have to do our work. We have to do our due diligence. We research, we seek God's wisdom, we pray, we, we resource the great thinkers and theologians of our day and we consider culture and context. And we ask, are there bigger principles that we apply to this situation? Often in Christian circles, new feels wrong. But sometimes the new is just us asking, is there a new wineskin that I have to hold my beliefs in? Am I seeing something new that I didn't see before? Certainly that becomes true when we start talking about how to bridge the gap of what the Bible says and how to apply it in the modern church today. Is it rejecting scripture to revisit these passages as I did today? No, it's good. Can you imagine, what if, what if over the centuries the church had never really wrestled with these issues? What if we had never revisited the idea of hair coverings and hairstyles? We wouldn't just be wearing masks to church, we'd be wearing hats. How would we feel about slavery today? I'm glad that we revisited that idea 100 years, 150 years ago? What about the discipline of children? What about how balancing work life and mom life? And what about specifically this issue? Do we really wanna say to the church today, when a woman walks in our building, that the Bible says that you should sit down and be quiet? Because that's what Paul says. We have a lot of work to do to understand that in particular, to apply it. Where the Bible's clear and consistent, we are as well. But where there's variance or where there's a gap of culture and context, that's where we have to do our work. And there is variance on this matter. 
We have to look at the totality of scripture and we have to go back to Jesus in the end, in the gospel. And we filter the things that we see in Paul's letters through what Jesus did. I'm going to ask the band to come up now. Thank you for bearing with me if you're, if you're not on an intermission. Um, and wrap up while they're coming up, I just want to say that, uh, that your board is humbly confident about this decision, and yet we acknowledge that this is a th- it, the church is debating this, and there are people that are way smarter, that invested way more time, that land in different places on this, and we acknowledge that. We don't think that we have the corner on truth. But we are humbly confident that we've done our due diligence in this. And one of the things that is part of that is how do we apply the scripture? I'm going to ask you over um, the next few weeks to stick with us. I know that for some of you, this is a big change. For others, it's like it's no big deal. Wherever you're coming from, it's really important that we understand that like why we believe what we believe. So whether you're egalitarian or complementarian, we want you to go through this and, and listen carefully because we have to base our truths on Scripture. And sometimes that's difficult. And sometimes the Scripture makes us change our mind. And sometimes we have a fresh new perspective of something that we've looked at a thousand times before. And other times we revisit it and say, no, that's, I can still see how that connects. Either way. One of the beautiful things about Sunridge in a non-denominational church is that um, we're diverse. We've never been the same here. We concede to one another with so many things, whether it's our theology or our doctrine or our, our taste in music or uh, our position on charismatic gifts. Or It's like you could just go on and on. Baptism, how we do communion. It's like there's so many things that we just kind of bear with and say, you know, that is, that is something, something that everybody's wrestling with. And I'm not going to make it a thing that I label somebody as a heretic or, you know, like you don't believe the Bible. That's not helpful in any way, especially in these things that people are discussing and debating. We're inviting you to go through this series with us to become a part of those dialogues and to have a deeper understanding of what God's word says, because, you know, this book, it it has big shoulders. It's reliable and authoritative, and it applies today. It's like we have to do our work to apply it straight and correctly, And, and I invite you to be a part of that with us. Whether you're a Sunridge person or whether you're just checking us out online, you're a guest or you're interested in this topic and you're part of another church, we want you to go through this with us. And we invite you to, to bear the yoke of understanding this matter as we move forward as a church. God bless you guys. We're going to worship one more time. I'll be praying for you. Please join us for our worship this evening and uh, join us for the collectives as we continue. Thank you.